I am a potter here in the Seagrove area. Our family's been here in this region since the late 1700s, what we've traced back to. They first settled in this area and found clay and fertile farmland for growing crops, and we've been here ever since. Ben Owen is a descendant of the original Seagrove potters that came to Randolph County as farmers and eventually emerged as world-renowned artists that we know today. But getting there took a lot of time. I'm talking centuries. One word I came away with from talking with Ben is overwhelming, but he's going to break down things for us from Seagrove's origins through how you can conveniently experience this wonderful arts collective today. This is NC Travel Chat, and I'm your host, Carl Hedinger. Uh, our family, along with several other families, moved to this area, and they found that they could support their families through uh, whether farming and uh, growing crops and that kind of thing to support everyday life, but also uh, the families that had the skills they brought either from European ancestry or also what they adapted and were able to learn in the Northeast as they came into America and then settled into the Southeast and continued to, to work with the tradition. Was there ever any connection with uh, Old Salem? Because when we were there, I remember running in, or we went into one of their uh, shops, and one of them was pottery, and and we heard a, a little bit of a story about that. There are connections uh, early on, like with Godfrey Ost and uh, people who first uh, came to Winston Salem area and brought some of the the technique and skills there. There are ways that the earthenware tradition really was in this community as well because it was an easier way uh, to producing pottery and the technique you could fire to a lower temperature with the bonus of making utilitarian vessels that uh, would withstand going into a wood-fired uh, baking oven compared to you know what we have today. But the materials are pretty common around this region up in the Winston-Salem area all the way down into the Sandhills area. You can find, find good red or yellow clays. So the connection is based on the clay and the color of the clays, but there's a mix of early English ancestry as well as uh, Moravian and German uh, influences as far as the slip trailing work and styles that they brought over. And that was a pretty dominant thing in Winston-Salem area for the more of the Moravian influence. Mm. And so Seagrove, does that predate the people who were in Old Salem? Would these be the first sort of European potters to arrive would be in Seagrove? Some of them were really more like <laughs> up in the Winston-Salem area as far as that tradition settling there and then also in the Seagrove area. Some of the earliest were the Cravens and the Coles. Uh, those two families were probably the earliest ones that we've recorded. Uh, there are new evidences of traditions coming into North Carolina from other directions. Um, you can look more at Catawba Valley over more toward Lincolnton, Hickory area. And there's some influence of a uh, Spanish settlement coming in through either Charleston or Savannah and coming up. And in recent years, they unearthed a kiln down in uh, Edgefield, South Carolina, just on the border. Uh, and they found some traces of that. And then you could see the influences of some of the alkaline glaze works. But I know this is off on another oh, technique. No. But back to your original question, some of the influences of um, you know what how families first came here. Seagrove is more on a what they call a fall line, 
So the, the, the shift in the earth and the weathering of the materials here either formed in volcanic ash, settled in water, to uh, Triassic basins that were settled more in the region and more towards the Sand Hills area where sand was dumped back on top of it again and the clay continued to age underneath the sand. And then just the shifts and changes and forms of ingredients made in this area. So a lot of pockets of ingredients were formed in this region and you can find it in different pockets. Seagrove pretty much sits on uh, what they call a felsic, flow, felsic flows. I think it's a geological term, but it's basically a, a granular to a fine uh, kind of gray-like uh, soil that is formed and settled in this area. And URA National Forest being nearby from a geological standpoint, how it's been weathered and erosion over time, that a lot, a lot of the materials have just been formed based on movements and shifts in the, in the materials in this region over a long period of time. Hmm. When did uh, your family arrive in the area? The earliest we can find is the late 1700s. It oh, was wow. James, James Owen, and he was registered as a farmer in the Register of Deeds. But most people back then, when they made pots uh, or they came to the area, they didn't really, quote, say they were a painter or a potter or whatever. They, they might have said they were a craftsman or a tailor or something like that, but, um, but they registered themselves as farmers. But but they brought some skills with them. And the earliest piece that we actually own in our Owen family or Owen Owens, uh, our cousins are nearby, nearby Jugtown. They put an S on the name, but we're all the same family. Uh, they uh, first came and JJ Owen is about the earliest piece we have. And that goes back uh, about four generations back in our family. Well, so I'm actually kind of technically a, a sixth generation potter. Uh, as far as what we've seen, as far as the tradition, and then you know what's continued. And our son Benjamin, he's fifteen, and he makes pots in his spare time, so he's kind of like a seventh generation. Oh, nice! When would you say that Seagrove, I guess, emerged as as being known as a an arts kind of destination? Well, there was a, a movement or a demand for pottery in this community in the nineteenth century where there was a lot of demand for vessels for food storage prep and that kind of thing. And probably one of the most prominent or prolific potteries during that time immediately in this community was J.D. Craven, J.D. Craven pottery. And he made a lot of pots. And from what we understand, my great, great grandfather worked Franklin Owen worked for him making pots kind of like a, you know, an employee. So, but they made a lot of storage things, anything from jugs to crocs to all kinds of, uh, things that were just a staple item. But but to, to another component of your question to answer is the change will happen in the early 1900s when uh, Industrial Revolution, other influences in how people were buying pottery in the past, it shifted because industrial methods were developing more metal, glass containers, things that were kind of seen as a lesser expensive way than going to your local potter or seamstress to make a dress for you or that kind of thing uh, where they had to go either work in other occupations if they were going to support their family or do farming or a combination. So they had to really either retool or change the type of works they were making because they couldn't compete with the industrial methods of things being made in the early 1900s and more and more of it becoming more available and in the, the Southeast just because of industries being able to move and transport things. But 
So going to your local potter was kind of a, you know, just really wasn't as necessary. So um, there was a couple by the name of Jacques and Juliana Busby. They came to the area and they had first found some pottery through going to local fairs or festivals in North Carolina. They were from Raleigh, Chapel Hill area, had connections up in New York. And they, uh, Mr. Busby was a painter and Juliana Busby was more of an art enthusiast, uh, kind of a botanical kind of uh, background as far as doing a flower arrangements or flower um, clubs and that kind of thing. But anyway, their journey set them into going and discovering some of the potteries in the area. And they traced it down to this community and found the potters that were still making some pots. But um, they just thought, wow, it'd really be nice to see this tradition be able to be preserved. So they eventually hired potters in the community, didn't have a pottery shop in this community yet, but they would just go and hire the potters like J.H. Owen, my great-grandfather, Rufus Owen, his brother, and uh, the people from the Crisco family, from the Teague family, J.W. Teague, and different ones in the community that were still potters in the area making some things. And they took their work and they built a, uh, they developed a tea room up in Greenwich Village up in in New York. And they would take and ship the work up there and serve afternoon tea to people. And, and through that, they kind of create that as their marketing angle of look at this tradition of clay that's being made in North Carolina and people started buying it. And he's like, where can we get a tea set or where can we get some dinnerware and that kind of thing. And they, built a business around that and then they hired potters to make work at their own individual shops and then eventually they built Jugtown Pottery. And a little side note of why it's called Jugtown Pottery, people called in the old ways like a community that of potters that make vessels out of clay, they would call them a Jugtown. So there was one in this area, Seagrove area with a history, one in Catawba Valley up in uh, Buncombe County up in the mountains and up in Alamance County, up around Burlington area. So those were deemed or called jug towns. So the Busby's thought that was a cool concept of calling it a jug town, but they named their pottery Jugtown Pottery and, and just built on that and marketed. So to, the other half of that component is they pushed the functional work, but then they started going to museums, the Metropolitan Museum, the Smithsonian, and other places. And they would take my grandfather along with them too, eventually, when he started working there when he was 18 years old in 1923. And they would go mm-hmm. travel, uh, Charlie Teague that worked there as well. And they would take them to, and see some of the things in the museums or bring sketches back. And they took forms from other cultures, Southeast Asia, Mesopotamia, Middle Eastern forms, uh, still early English or European ancestry. Uh, vessels, and then they started retooling and making things. Instead of a jug or a pitcher, they developed into a vase or a vase or a jar or other types of ornamental pieces, but yet still could be functional, whether it holds flowers or a big punch bowl with a bunch of noggin cups that somebody can come and have a party and that kind of thing. But they put more colorful glazes and influences on the you know, and the styles in, inspired from Asian and other other cultures. Hmm. And they retooled what the potters were making and developed it into more of an art form than just a craftsmanship. This starts out the 20s and the 30s. Does your, is your grandfather, is he learning things as he's going? Yes. Um, and then he, does he go back to Seagrove? 
and does does do things change between the 20s and 30s to now that was probably the most pivotal point as far as development and a style and a technique that really set them as well as other potteries in the area that kind of followed suit like uh, North State Pottery over in Sanford, uh, A.R. Cole Pottery, J.B. Cole Pottery over here in Seagrove, just nearby. It doesn't exist now, but there's still some family members working in the in the community as well, like Potts Pottery and different ones in Sanford. But, but my point is, it just really was catching on, and people were seeing that the styles of pottery that were being made or what they could make would draw a different audience than trying to compete with the industrial revolution, make something that's more one of a kind and more handmade and having a chance to come out and meet the maker and actually buy it straight from the kilns when they come out. So they created a demand through just having events. They shut the tea room down like the Busby's did up in New York and just came down here. Meanwhile, Hmm. Pinehurst was being developed the same time. So there's some of the earliest golf courses like pine needles and different courses were being built in Pinehurst through the twenties through up to the forties, fifties and so on. So people were coming down that first learned about Jugtown, come to Pinehurst area and visit the Coles on the way down highway one coming down to Pinehurst and stop and buy pottery from the Coles, go to Pinehurst, play golf, come drive, travel up the, the dirt roads or eventually some paved roads at a later point and come up to visit potters in the Seagrove area. And it just really created a demand. And it's interesting too, a little side note is how a lot of the people who have now aged out or estate sales that have been going on over the last decade or so, people are finding a lot of the pottery that was first purchased by their, their family members up in New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, different areas. And they would come down for vacation and uh, now they're like selling some of their estates and some of those pots are from that time period when they bought in. That's interesting. And and I never thought about that tie in between golf and buying pottery, but I guess that would have been the people who would have traveled to the area back then. Right. Mm-hmm. Would there have been a peak era of this happening or did it just continuously grow? It, it was continuously growing through those the from the I'd say the late twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, and then the sixties. It may have slowed down just a little bit, but um, but then it started rebuilding again uh, with the influence of like uh, potters taking on apprenticeships, uh, having people come and work for potteries in the area. Uh, Walter and Dorothy Allman they opened up their first. A uh, little museum of pottery of North Carolina in Seagrove, uh, and they had their own pottery shop and they made their own work. But they also had this little train depot that was used when the railroad came through Seagrove, and they converted the depot, moved it to their had it there at their property, and then they set it up as a museum so people could see a lot of the different styles, not only of potters of the Seagrove area, but also from elsewhere in the state too, and. And so things like that really helped educate people. Highway 220 coming through Seagrove was a, a, a main artery for people traveling from, uh, say, Ohio, Michigan, mm-hmm. West Virginia, those kind of the Midwest kind of coming down. And if they want to go to the coast of North Carolina, North Carolina, like Myrtle Beach or Charleston or Wilmington, that kind of thing, they would travel down through Seagrove. And it'd be a stopping point for a lot of families to come and have a rest stop discover some pottery there at the local potters and and then um, are on their way back home. 
And I guess the same thing can be said for the snowbirds that would travel through like today. They use the interstate highway like 73, 74, and they travel down on the way down to Florida and other places. So I guess, um, how, how would you say it is now compared to those previous times? Is it, uh, is it on the same level of interest from people? I think it's still a, very much a, um, a, an interesting and still kind of a, what's what I call kind of a hidden gem in a way for some people, especially for newcomers that uh, there's a percentage of people that are moving into electing to move to the Southeast whether it's in Pinehurst or Seven Lakes or, you know, around the region, or they move their business to Charlotte or Greensboro Research Triangle Park, or they're on the coast of North Carolina, how each year there's like through UNCTV, when I help them, they give me stats on how many people are actually coming and are watching the show I do. And they say, well, gosh, you have about 35% new viewers every year that have never seen the show before. Wow. So, so I think, it's a combination of people moving to the, the Southeast and also people just traveling through and, and want to have an adventure. But I think what has helped our area really diversify even more is the influence of not only potters in the same sense of being going through apprenticeships and uh, learning in the community or going to local community colleges like Montgomery Community College over in Troy. They've had a long-standing uh, curriculum and teaching pottery classes, hmm. Randolph Community College, Sand Hills Community College also in the past has had it, as well as a lot of our prominent universities like East Carolina, where I went to school. I studied a lot about art and design there uh, when I was in school back in the late 80s, early 90s, but Greensboro, Guilford College, uh, UNCG, uh, uh, UNC Charlotte has it, NC State has the Craft Center, UNC uh, Asheville, uh, even Western Carolina. It's um, just a lot of good things, programs around the region where you can tap in and learn about pottery. And so why I'm bringing that up is a lot of the people who have come out of those programs, they naturally want to have a place to go and either do an internship at the North Carolina Pottery Center, which we have now a full-fledged museum since the late 90s. And we have education built in there too, where they can do either six three or six month residency hmm. they can get their hands in the clay and, and as well as teach and learn more about from the collection they have there. And through that, some people have chosen to stay in the community and be part of the, the tradition. And they've brought a technique or a style, whether they're learning here in the region in pottery, but then even another, another layer I want to mention is the influence of international uh, migration of people coming to North Carolina, either first coming into America and studying ceramics or pottery, but then like Takaro and Hitomi Shibata, they're from Japan. They grew up in Shigaraki, Japan, and they moved to America and through residencies and then eventually came here. And now they have a studio here in Seagrove. Uh, do, they do uh, wonderful work. We have people from Estonia, from Italy, from Taiwan, from uh, just lots of different places in, in the world. And they decide to move here because they love the concept of the tradition of pottery in this community and how they've been able to add their own component to it. And that's what has really helped our community grow. Wow. That's amazing. And is it a, I, I saw a count that it was at about what, a hundred potters in, in your town. Yeah. There are about a hundred potters, individual potters, but as far as shops, there are probably about, 
maybe 70 retail mm-hmm. stores or, or studios, I guess you would call it, classify it. But a lot of them are husband and wife or like, uh, like Takro Natomi I mentioned earlier, or other potters where they have uh, family members, Jugtown Pottery, they have four of them there, Vernon and Pam and Travis and Bailey. Uh, so they're all working there together. And so it's, you know, our, my family here, I've got my son, Benjamin, and our daughter, Juliana, she makes some things from time to time. But oh, yeah. uh, so it's kind of, you know, you, they learn and the thing is, is especially with kids being a parent, they're constantly wanting money. So, uh, <laughs> thing. so you have to look at it from that standpoint. And they're learning uh, that, well, if they want some extra money, they can make some pots, have them in the shop or on our website, and they can ha- ex- have some extra spending money. So it's a good good example for them to learn. That, that's interesting. I, I, have, I have a lot to ask as a follow-up to that. What show do you do on UNC TV? Each year, uh, over the last probably 17 years, I think we've been doing it. We first started in 2001, I think, or 2002. Uh, I think our daughter, Avery, was just really small. She was just not even uh, two years old when I began. But anyway, um, I have done some other profile segments. Uh, When Bill Friday was doing North Carolina People, he came and wanted to do a profile with me about clay and pottery just right after I came out of college from East Carolina. And I've done some others when I was a teenager through UNC TV, like a profile thing like North Carolina now when they were doing that and local TV stations like Fox eight and high point and Greensboro WFMY. But, but um, they approached me and they said, well, we have this fundraiser every year and, you know, instead of selling books or CDs and all this other kind of stuff, would you ever consider uh, doing a, uh, kind of a joint thing together where we could show some of your clay tradition and process. And if you wouldn't mind making some thank you gifts with your pottery. And so we, we started out doing it in the studio and we had really good response from it. And then I invited other potters, uh, Sid Luck, who comes from the Luck family, another traditional family in the area. And I had Sid come on the show and do it. And so we kind of did a duo together and it was a lot of fun, just kind of this dialogue and conversation. They loved it because we do it live. There are no retakes. So if we fall That's off, hard. so it's going to, you know, <laughs> you're, uh, I still get nervous when I do it. I'm like, all right, when's somebody going to fall off a stool or I'm going to mess up something. But anyway, <laughs> it, it always seems to work out and, you know, we're human and I think that makes it interesting. So, um, so over the years, we've just kind of worked on building that show up and I make an effort to each time to show something a little different. I had to repeat something just because we have new viewers, but but I'll show you making a teapot or a bowl or a candlestick or, you know, something that's unique about the glazes. I've had friends that have come out and helped produce videos for me that we use. And I just voice over and show some of the firing process or digging clay and processing the materials that we still use here locally that hmm. kind of helps people with kind of the same concept of a restaurant, uh, like farm to table kind of thing. Like, well, here's where we get our ingredients to make this nice dish. And, so here are the clays that we use to make this pottery. So it, it just helps people to appreciate a little more about what we, the resources we have, not only ingredients, but how do these ingredients inspire an artist or a craftsman that work with things here in North Carolina to make something unique. To that point of working with things around here and the way I feel about Seagrove is the appreciation I have that there's this community here. Do you, do you also feel a bit of pride uh, being where you are 
doing what you do as an artist in North Carolina and thinking maybe that everybody else in North Carolina should know about you and also appreciate what you contribute to the state? Well, I, I, I really feel fortunate that, um, you know, not only that I did happen to grow up in a family tradition of working in clay, but, but it's how we use those tools. We could have all the tools in the world and resources around us, but uh, what I really enjoy and challenge myself is how do I make these vessels? Uh, I commonly use the theme of a vessel of purpose. And whether I'm a potter or other uh, craftsmen or artisans here in the state, I think we all kind of feel that service of you know, how do we make something that is a great experience for people when they come to visit Seagrove or go to the mountains and visit a potter up in Penland area or Catawba Valley or other places. But how do we take and you know, like what kind of vessel are we and how are we bringing uh, joy or, or unique opportunity or an experience when they come and visit us and maybe step into our studio and see how we make the pots or learn a little bit more about the behind the scenes so that when they drink a cup of coffee out of that mug from a local potter in the secret area that uh, they remember that it's just a great memory. It's iconic that they can see that mug or that dinnerware set they bought from a local potter and they enjoy, or they decide to go around and buy one dinner plate from every potter in the community. And they have a conversation around the table and it's like, wow, that's cool. How did they do that? And then you start off, whole another conversation like, well, they told us about how I'm doing the colors. They have to do a multiple step and so on. And so I think to really kind of summarize your, uh, your question is that I think that what we have in Seagrove is really something unique. And I really, really am happy about what we can offer to people when we, they can come out and visit the community and, and that we can keep this tradition alive through, especially young, uh, young potters that have come to the area that are offering and providing their own approach to clay that it, it shows promise of what we can do, even in a technological society where people may be more concerned about the next iPhone or something like that. But, uh, you know, how do we take, I use my iPhone to take photographs of my pot. So we find these tools and things or, you know, communicate with people through our websites. But uh, I think when people can actually tangibly touch the pots and look at them and, and see that it can bring a splash of color in their living room or, Maybe it's a anniversary gift or someone for a holiday uh, yeah. that can be really special. Are people able to come out this year and see you with everything going on with COVID nineteen? Well, with the the recent things that have happened in twenty twenty, um, of course, COVID has been the most important kind of priority as far as making sure that if people are coming out, they feel like they can be safe coming out to visit the potters and feel like they're not exposed to things or other people in a large you know, like a large group. So in the past, we typically have our fall uh, celebration of Seagrove Potters Festival, and we have it in Seagrove at the local, what's called the historical Lux Bean Cannery. And it's been repurposed into other industries that now own the property, but the front building is a facility where it's been donated to the town. And we have ample space in there to be able to hold a festival. But we decided to hold off on having the festival this year because we just didn't want to have a lot of people concentrate in one location and the risk of COVID. So we decided to turn it into a studio tour, which we've done in the past for other times of year. So this year we're holding it November 20th through the 22nd. And 
uh, visitors can come, uh, learn a little bit about the information. They can stop by the Lux Cannery. We have a, a tent set up there for people to stop, drop by and get information, but they can easily download off our website too. And then they can go on their little journey of seeing the local potters in the community in about 15 mile radius and uh, just really have a great experience going out and seeing at each individual studio and, and be able to shop. A lot of potters will end up having things outside. Yeah. Uh, of course, weather permitting, but also in their, their showrooms or uh, studios that people can purchase. And I think it'll be really special. Is there going to be anything else going on for the holidays? We do have other events, but uh, to tie into the um, first with the studio tour, we have actually created an auction, which we typically have an auction each year. But this year, we're going to do it online on the website. And we have it where people can come and either the scan with a barcode or a QR reader and uh, learn about the auction pieces and every potter that has donated a piece to the auction this year, we are using the proceeds from that to give back into the community, to the local schools, to the pottery center, different programs in the arts. And so the proceeds from those pots are going to go back into helping, especially with the art teachers and, and uh, other, other um, venues that we can help, especially in a need where they may need supplies and things like that to help promote the arts. So that'll be one component of it, as well as we're doing a raffle. So you have a chance to win a raffle ticket for a hundred bucks. I think it is on there. You can uh, apply for that. But uh, as far as other events we're having um, in December, we're having a studio tour or not a studio tour, but we're having a holiday uh, open house. And typically it happens every weekend in December, except leading up to Christmas. Hmm. So we'll have the first uh, three weekends. I think it is this year. We have the, uh, the holiday open house where people can come out to the, to the shops as well. So if people can't make it to the studio tour the weekend before Thanksgiving, they can easily come out those three weekends in December as well. And uh, where can they find out more info about that? So our website is discoverseagrove.com. And it is uh, we're revamping the website and we're supposed to have the new website launched here very soon, but it's uh, we have the old site up, but we've been trying to upgrade everything and make it where we can show a lot more of the products and as well as the auction and other things too. But all the potters that are featured for the tour and for the holidays will be on that website as well. Are you on any social media channels as well? Yeah, we have for the the Discover Seagrove or Seagrove Potters. It's on uh, Facebook. They have on Instagram as well. Um, many of the potters, if you can learn through the website, discover Seagrove, you'll see where they're either have Instagram or, or Facebook handle. Ours is just simply been on pottery, but many of the other potters in the community will have, have those up there as well. Cool. Well, Ben, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. I'm sorry. I'm in the dark here. My light just doesn't seem to want to work. Um, yeah. but, uh, Seriously, it was it was a lot of fun, and I've been wanting to learn more about Seagrove, uh, in you know from the first from the source of it, kind of since you're one of the original families. Um, this was really educational, and well, thank you. we we uh, love uh, coming to that part of the state. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh no, it's fine. Go have just um, rambling. I was going to say um, uh, another good um, place in the area to learn a little more in depth about the. Uh, the history of clay would to be to visit the North Carolina Pottery Center. And 
go in and Lindsay Lambert is the director there, but they have a uh, great programs there with the, as I mentioned earlier, but, but uh, Lindsay could show you around or maybe it's, we're very fortunate to have it here in our backyard, but it represents the whole state as far as the history of clay. Is there anything, Ben, you'd like to, you'd like people to know about Seagrove or what to expect if they were to come to this part of the state? I think that uh, the opportunity to be able to come into the Seagrove area, just keep in mind, keep, uh, you can only see so much in one day because there are a lot of potters and a lot of places to visit. And I encourage you to try to make it into a weekend. Another bonus to coming to Seagrove is, uh, especially if you have young kids or not that you only have to have young kids do it, but go visit the North Carolina Zoo, which is only 15 minutes away. Uh, it's just a great opportunity. I say go visit the zoo in the morning, go in the afternoon, visit the potters while the animals are taking a nap. And, uh, <laughs> go <with the> pottery. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you would say what, start at the Pottery Center and you could ask somebody there and they'll give you an idea of where to go. Yeah, that's probably the best way. Uh, a lot of people choose to go for the first time and visit the Pottery Center. We have a great display of the local potter's work and a display case in there, and then they can pick up maps and uh, decide their journey, what they like from seeing there, and then they can set, set out to have a fun adventure for the day. All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much. I really appreciate Thanks again to Ben for joining me for NC Travel Chat. If you haven't visited Seagrove yet, any weekend is the perfect time. They do have some special events coming up that he and I talked about, but this place is really fun any weekend. Don't forget to start at the NC Pottery Center. It's a really nice building and you'll get you know some tips on where to go. If you know the area and you have an artist that you love, we'd love to know about them too. Just uh, share it with me by email at carl at nctripping.com. We're really looking forward to writing more about Seagrove on nctripping.com and already have a couple articles out there that mention them, but we're going to have some more stuff that goes into more detail. Thank you again for listening to NC Travel Chat. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review and some kind words, and don't forget to subscribe. Until the next episode, we hope you're able to get out there and see something awesome in North Carolina. I know the fall peak is gone. But this place is still beautiful through the winter. I don't care what you say. Take care.